Church, go ahead and have a seat. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you. Uh, if we haven't had the pleasure of meeting yet, my name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors on staff. Um, I am your government holiday pastor, if you will. So, no, I'm just joking. Um, it's good to be back. Uh, you know, uh, first, before we get into anything, I just want to say thank you. Um, and I, I want to thank you specifically for supporting me and my family. Uh, I don't take for granted the fact that I get to live out my Ephesians 2.10 calling day in and day out. Um, that because of y'all's support, the way that you pray for me, that you pray for my family, the way you serve us, you serve my family, the way that you financially support the church, that I get to do this day in and day out. And, um, but every now and then I need a break. And so these past couple of weeks, my family, we got to get away. Uh, my father-in-law got remarried uh, in Hawaii, so we got to enjoy uh, the beaches of Hawaii for a few days, um, and it was incredible. But I missed y'all. I was gone for two Sundays, and I, I truly missed being here. I missed this part, worshiping with you and praying with you and, and being together, hearing people's voices behind me lifting up the name of Jesus. And so I just, again, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for all that you do to support me, the staff of this church, Greg. It's just, it is such a gift for us to be able to do what we get to do. So thank you for that. <laughs> Sheila, she's my encourager every Sunday morning. Um, if you're new with us, welcome, special welcome to you. We have, uh, we want to get to know you. And uh, we have connect cards all throughout the room. We have connect cards on 12 different stations where you can put pen to paper, fill those out, drop it off in the giving basket on your way out. Uh, you can also download our app. We have an app called Restoration Church Wood Forest. And on there, there's a drop down where you can fill out a digital connect card. Or the easiest thing you can do is open up the camera on your phone, scan that QR code that is in front of you for connect, and fill out the digital connect card there as well. And really, the reason we are asking you to do this is because we believe we're a family here at Restoration. A lot of people will tell you that we are a family here at Restoration, and we want to introduce you to the family. So we don't just open the doors and say, hey, come on into our house and leave you alone. We say, welcome. Here's who we are. Here's what we're all about. And so just a little bit of information from you. We'll give you some information about us and let you know how you can get connected into the life and body here at Restoration. Um, but before we go, I want to take one more moment. I want to do something uh, I think it's due, and it's, it's important that we do. This, this weekend that we're, uh, we're here today celebrating, many people are away and on vacation, but it's not just a long weekend. Uh, this is a weekend where we get to recognize the ultimate sacrifice that many people paid so that we could live a life of freedom here in the United States where we can come and worship God freely. Okay, so... What I'd love to do is I know there's family in here uh, who uh, at some point in time, their family, someone in their family uh, served in the armed forces and uh, potentially paid the ultimate sacrifice for us. And so if that's you this morning, we'd love to uh, celebrate you and thank you for that. So if you would just stand if there's anyone here that has served or has family that has served and paid that sacrifice this morning. Can we pray for them? Can we do that? Father God, we just thank you for this morning. Again, we thank you that we can gather here as one to, uh, to worship you. We can do that freely with uh, no inhibitions that uh, we can come and, um, yeah, just worship you, Father. And so, God, I know there's many things that you call us to. And each of our callings look different. And some of the things that you've called people to are, 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 is the ultimate sacrifice. 
that you've called them to something greater than many of us would ever step into. And so, God, I thank you for those individuals this morning. I thank you for their lives. I thank you for their families. God, I ask that you would be, that you would be with their families this week as they celebrate the lost loved ones, that they would uh, know that they are cared for, that they are seen, that they are loved, and that the sacrifice was not for anything. It was not for naught. It was, it was meant something so that we could come and worship you and live freely in this nation. So, God, we thank you that we can uh, celebrate their lives today. It's your son's name. Amen. Well, like I said, it's good to be back. But this morning, uh, we're going to be in the book of Colossians. And so if you have your Bibles with you, uh, go ahead and open up uh, Colossians 1, uh, verses 9 through 14. But before we get into that, before we start digging into the scriptures, what I want to do is give you a little context in why the book was written in the first place. It's really important that you understand this to know what we're going to discuss today. So the church was planted by this guy named Epaphras. And Epaphras came to know Jesus through the preaching and teaching of Paul, right? And so he learned from Paul, and then he went to the city of Colossae, and he planted this church with what seems like great success. But then what begins to happen over time is that after the Colossians hear the gospel, and they respond to the good news with faith in Jesus Christ, they begin to get pressured. They get pressured from the outside from other believers that begin to claim that there is more to the Christian walk than what they know or what they're experiencing, and so the church begins to believe that what they have in Christ is just not enough. In a sense, they become bored with their faith. So when was the last time you remember actually being bored, right? I'm not talking about the boredom that we have to deal with today where we have to choose one show of the thousand shows we can choose from from Netflix. But I'm talking about early 90s boredom, right? When was the last time you were that bored? where you sat in a waiting room, there was no TV, there was no phone, it was just the Highlights magazine and waiting for your name to be called. When was the last time you were that bored? Or you were sitting in a checkout line at a grocery store and you were waiting to be checked out and you had no phone, nothing to listen to, no Netflix to watch. You had to read the magazines, the covers on the magazine and catch up on all the latest gossip. Or you might have to talk to someone in front of you or behind you, strangers, right? When was the last time you were that bored? Well, I'm convinced that if I grew up in the world we live in today, I would have gotten in a lot less trouble as a kid. You see, back in the day, as an early 90s kid, you just had to figure it out. If you were bored and you went and told your parents you were bored, what would they tell you to do? <laughs> Go outside, figure out something to do, right? That's right, I used to lock you out. <laughs> Sheila, I know why. I actually remember one time we were so bored that we came up with this prank. Now, my dad was here earlier, and so I revealed something new to him this morning. But I told him after the service, I was like, hey, the statute of limitations is, I'm, I'm, I can no longer get in trouble for this. But I'm going to share this with you. So we came up with this prank. I don't know if we were the geniuses that came up with this or someone else sh shared this with us. But either way, all boredom went out the window when we did this. So here's what we would do. We would wait until it's dark outside, possibly even later in the night as people are starting to go to bed. And we would take three things with us, simple. A Band-Aid, a nickel, and some fish and lime. All right, and we would take the Band-Aid and we would put the nickel on one end of that Band-Aid and we'd put fishing line in between the nickel and the Band-Aid. Then we would take the other end of that Band-Aid and put it on the corner of a window in their house. And then we would stretch that fishing line all the way across the street. And we would just sit there and just lightly tap, 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 tap. <laughs> I mean, it would scare people, <laughs> and people would come out of the house, and they're looking around, and they're getting frustrated, and we'd do that about five times before they just lose their mind. They're screaming at us and whatnot, and so one night, we decide to do it to Skip's house, 
Skip was uh, the father of one of our friends, and he's just an angry man. So we're like, let's get Skip, right? Let's do let's 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 help Skip have some fun tonight. And so uh, we set this up. We go to Skip's house, and we start doing this tap tap tap. And he looks out the door. He's getting frustrated, and tap tap tap. And we do this five times. And we're hiding across the street behind a car, and all of a sudden, Skip comes barreling out of the house. He's running straight at us. I don't know if he knew we were there, but we were so scared. But he was screaming like a banshee, just, ah! he's coming out of the house, and all he's in is his whitey tidies. <laughs> scared us even more. And so we disperse in every direction, and he's screaming every expletive you can imagine. And we, just, I mean, but... We felt like we were bored and we had to take our life to an extreme in order to get rid of that boredom, right? So Skip, if you're listening this morning, I'm sorry. It was us. We were bored. My parents told us to go outside and figure out something to do, so we did. But this is why this message is so important for us today, because the truth is, is we hate boredom. When Paul wrote this to the Colossians over 2,000 years ago, it pertains to us today because in many ways we are the Colossians. Again, as we look back to the scriptures, there was this group of believers in the church of Colossae. And they were teaching and saying that in order to truly experience the Christian life, you had to know and experience or do certain things to attain that next level of Christianity. They were bored. Do you know why they were bored? Get this. This is why they were bored. They were bored with the truth that they were once dead sinners made alive through Christ in the gospel. They were bored with that. The truth is, is there's probably some of you in this room today that are bored with that. They wanted more than the gospel. Because in the end, these people had lost their joy in their salvation. They had lost their joy in Jesus. They had lost their joy in the fact that God had given them a purpose. He had given them an Ephesians 2.10 calling. Before he even spoke the oceans into existence, he had a purpose for their life. And they're bored with it. Therefore, in order to combat this boredom, they felt like they had to add all these things to their faith in order to benefit the most from their relationship with Christ. And so these people, these bored people began going around and saying, hey, don't you feel like your faith is a bit slow? Don't you feel like it's boring? Don't you feel like something's missing? Don't you want to add something extreme? And so they start suggesting these new ways of knowing God and sacrificing for God. And the church of Colossae begins to confused and they begin to ask themselves, well, is this true? Is this what we really need to do in order to live the Christian life? Well, this is where Paul steps in. And again, this is why he wrote this book. He steps in and he says, no. Right away, chapter 1, verse 7, he says, no. He says, look, guys, Epaphras, our beloved and fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. Paul says, look, guys, Epaphras, a faithful minister of Christ, brought the gospel to you, and there's nothing he's holding back from you. You don't need anything besides Jesus, and he gave you Jesus. That's all you need. You have everything you need. So what we're going to see in today's passage when reading is how Paul is going to show the Colossians, and he's going to show us how Christ alone is enough. How Christ alone is exactly what we need when it comes to our faith. There is nothing we need to add. There is nothing we need to experience to make our faith greater or more exciting than what Christ has already given us. And Paul's going to do that by praying. He's going to do that by praying for the Colossians. And this is what I love about Paul and his leadership. This is so unique because rather than going to the Colossians and beating them over the head with the Bible and yelling at them being like, what are you thinking? He says, no, I'm going to pray for you. 
Paul turns to one of the most important facets of living in community, and that's praying for others and having them pray for you. And I love this. Because when we know that others are praying for us, or vice versa, we know that we are seen by them and we're seen by God. We know that we are cared for by them and that we're cared for by God. We know that we are supported by them and we're supported by God. We aren't walking through whatever we have going on in our lives alone. They're with us and God is with us. And this, church, this is why I believe in First Wednesday so much. I, I absolutely love First Wednesday. First Wednesday really is the reason why my wife and I are here today why our family worships at Restoration, because we stumbled into this place on a first Wednesday needing refreshment. We know here at Restoration just how important prayer is in our lives and in the lives of others. So if you don't already have plans for this coming Wednesday, June 2nd at 7 p.m., guess what? Now you do. And if you already have plans, change them. Because it's so important. This is so important to be here to pray for one another. I need you here. All right? I'm just being on. I need you here. I need you here for me. So I'm going to be a little selfish. Please come here for my behalf so that I, because I need all the prayer I can get. And I want to pray for you. And so it's an incredible night. I hope you join us this Wednesday, 7 p.m. Child care is available. It's, it really is incredible nights. But, but as we move on, uh, as I read Paul's prayer this morning, as we begin to unpack what he says, I want you to ask yourself a few questions. I want you to ask yourself, is this the kind of prayer that I would pray for myself? Is this how I would pray for myself? Or is this how I would pray for those that are most important in my life? Is this how I would pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ, okay? So I want you to kind of keep those questions in the back of your mind as we're walking through that. And we'll address it later on in the sermon. But let's begin. We're going to be in Colossians 1, verse 9 and 10 to begin. And it says this. And so from the day we heard, Paul says, from the day we heard of your faith, love, and hope in Jesus Christ, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you, again, he says, we are praying that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, if we were just to look at these two verses and just kind of summarize them, put them into a short summary, what Paul is praying for, he's basically praying that we would walk with Christ. I believe that's how you could sum up this prayer. Paul is saying is, I want you to walk with Jesus. I want you to spend time in a secret place with Jesus. Now, for many of us that have grown up in this church, this phrase I'm going to share with you is a pretty common phrase. It's tossed around a lot. But it's this, are you walking with Jesus? Or how's your walk? Right? You kind of hear that. And the problem with that question, though, is if we don't understand the context, if we don't understand what the word walking means, then it's just kind of Greek to us. We're like, oh, I'm walking just fine today. So the word walking with Jesus is a Jewish way of talking about your overall way of life. It's the way that you live your life. So when Paul prays that you would be walking with Jesus, he's essentially asking and praying for them to live the way of Jesus. Walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord and live the way of Jesus. Read the four, the four gospels, read those and understand how Jesus lives his life and then do that. Now, for some of us in the room today, that's a pretty daunting task. I would say for all of us in the room today, that's a pretty daunting task, isn't it? You might feel stuck in life, not sure how to press forward, especially when it comes to your faith and how you're living your life. And oftentimes, I find myself in the same boat. 
I find myself in that same boat. But I was encouraged this week as I was studying this passage and realizing that Paul gives us a pretty simple way of understanding and how to live that life out, how to live the way of Jesus. Now, from the way that Paul's praying, he's laying out this almost circular pattern of thinking and living when it comes to our faith. Okay, he starts off talking about the knowledge of God's will. Then he talks about bearing good fruit and good work. And then he circles back to the knowledge of God's will again or the knowledge of God. So he's encouraging us to live in almost this circular way of going back into, turning back into what's most important in our lives. And that, it actually reminds me of this concept that I learned a few years back uh, from Jim Collins. Anyone ever read one of his books, Good to Great? Phenomenal book. It's a secular book. has nothing to do with the church. But there's a concept in there called the flywheel concept. And I think it's extremely relevant for us today. So in order to better understand this, for you visual learners out there, I had Leanne build us a graphic. And so this graphic this morning is going to help us kind of walk through our sermon today. So I want you to imagine this flywheel. Basically, it's a metal disc. It's, it's flat horizontally on an axle, and you will find the desired outcome in the middle of that metal disc, okay, on that axle. That's the desired outcome for us. And so then you see these three different sections of the flywheel that Paul is talking about that will keep turning into in order to achieve the said outcome, which is what for us today? Living the way of Jesus, right? Walking with Christ. So now what I want to do is I want to talk about those three sections that Paul mentions, the knowledge of God's will, bearing good fruit, and knowing God. So the first section of this flywheel, the first thing we're going to turn into today, turn into today is knowing God's will. Knowing what God is doing in this world, what he's doing in your life, and what he wants you to do or become in response of that. So knowledge is where it all starts, right? Knowledge is where it all starts. But here's the problem. Because those believers in the church of Colossae were also coming with what they said was new knowledge. They said, hey, this is what we're offering. This is the new knowledge we have. And you see this actually later on in chapter 3. But they're saying this. There's this offering of new knowledge when it comes to spiritual experiences, worship of angels, detailed visions. They were finally saying that in order to be a true Christian, you had to start practicing self-discipline, self-denial, do not taste, do not touch, religion, severity to the body. They were bringing all these new streams of knowledge into the pathway of these everyday Christians. But what Paul is praying for is different. You see, Paul is praying for spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, that word spiritual is important because Paul is saying that it is given by the Spirit of God. It is given directly to you from God through the Holy Spirit, and it comes from the knowledge of God's will. It comes straight from the Spirit. It comes straight from God himself, and it doesn't come from anywhere else, especially man. Paul is saying that we, what we need is more knowledge. What we need is more knowledge. We need more knowledge about God and Jesus and who he is. Now, this is the point in the sermon where all my theology nerds, they stand up. That's what I'm talking about, Josh. We need more knowledge. We need more knowledge about God and more knowledge about Jesus and more knowledge about who he is. I'm going to tell you to hold your horses, okay, because he's got a word for you. But you're right. Paul is talking to those who don't desire to have a lot of knowledge about God right now. They don't desire to spend time with Jesus in the secret place. And the truth is, is that's some of you in this room today. Some of you just want to come to church. Some of you just want to have some sort of Jesus experience and hope that you get this nugget of information and hope that your day is better today than it was yesterday. There's some of you in here today that are completely reliant on the pastor for you to know what God's will is in your life. Whether it's here on stage or through a podcast that you listen to in your car. 
You have 10 Bibles in your home, five Bible apps on your phone, and you have yet to open up your Bible this week or maybe even this year. Then there's others in this room, they just want to serve Jesus, right? They just want to do a lot of things for Jesus. And because they're serving, they feel no need to dig into the Bible and spend time with Jesus. Am I right? Because we're so busy doing all these things for Jesus, when am I actually going to read about him? Because how much knowledge does it actually take to serve in Restoration Kids? How much knowledge does it take to greet someone in the parking lot or greet someone at the front door? How much knowledge does it take to serve the homeless, to serve those in need? If I'm just busy, then I'm good. Well, what Paul is saying is that spiritual wisdom and understanding begins right here. It begins in the Bible. It's been given to us through the Holy Spirit. God's will for your life is directly spelled out for us right here in the Bible. And you don't want to read it. So the question you have to ask yourself this morning is why? If you're one of those people that doesn't want to spend time with Jesus or his word, you just want to show up on Sunday morning hoping for that nugget of information, or maybe you just want to check that Southern Bible Belt cultural checkbox that says, I attended church. If that's you, then why don't you want the Bible? Why don't you want to know God's will for your life? Why don't you want to take advantage of that? He's given this to you to have this incredible relationship with him. Because the truth is, is if we want to live the way of Jesus, then we must learn to gain the knowledge and wisdom for ourselves out of God's word. It's fundamental to the Christian faith. Because Paul says that everything starts with knowledge. But that's not where it stops. Here's where Paul starts talking to those that are all too concerned with just having knowledge. Paul says if you're gaining knowledge just for knowledge's sake, just to feel better about yourself than the person sitting next to you because you might know more about the Bible than they do, if that's you, you're not helping anybody, especially yourself. Now, I know this might hurt some of y'all's feelings, but it's true. And the reason I know that is because I've been in those church environments before. I've been in those church environments where the only reason they showed up, the main objective, the main goal on Sunday morning, the reason people showed up was just so they could know a lot about God rather than actually knowing God. And the hard truth about those environments was it was boring. It was boring. You could see it on people's faces. They were bored. They were just walking in like zombies just to get some information about God. And Greg has said it so many times from the stage. If you're bored in your relationship with Jesus, then guess what? Jesus is bored too. Because knowledge for knowledge's sake is extremely unhelpful in the kingdom of God. Because Paul says, this is why he wants you to have knowledge. He says, I want you to have knowledge so that it will transform your life. Not for knowledge's sake. I want you to have the knowledge of God's will in your life so that it will transform your life. And when that begins to happen, here's, here's what you see. It will change the way you think. It will change the way you carry yourself. It will change the way you respond to others. It will change the way you see your purpose on this earth. It's a knowledge that transforms you and bears fruit. And so the second section of this flywheel that we're going to look at is bearing fruit. That's where the knowledge is going to take you. When we begin turning that wheel and focusing our efforts and knowing the will of God, then we begin to bear fruit for God. Look at verse 9 and 10 again. It says, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Verse 10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work. Bearing fruit in every good work. 
So what is that fruit? What's he talking about? Well, I think Paul lays it out pretty clear in Galatians 5.22. He says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the kind of things that you're going to start exhibiting in your life as you grow in your knowledge of Jesus, as you walk with Jesus, as you learn the way of Jesus through the Holy Spirit working in you. But again, for some of you in this room, you've become inoculated to that list, haven't you? Because you've heard it all too many times. But here's the deal. That list, that, that what he lays out, the fruit of the Spirit, is not some theoretical issues that can be debated over. These are things that start popping up in your life in real life situations, day by day, moment by moment, trial after trial. For instance, here's what you begin to exhibit. Love for people who aren't loving to you at all. Joy in the midst of suffering when you should just be curled up in a ball on the floor. Peace when the day, the day grind of life is stressful. You begin exhibiting patience during the bath and bedtime routine. Am I right, parents? <laughs> Y'all, this one's for me. I need more and more knowledge of God's will and what he's done in my life because I need more patience during the bedtime routine because it gets me every time. I need patience. You begin exhibiting faithfulness when nothing seems to be going the way we hope for. You begin exhibiting self-control when the temptations of the flesh are bearing down on you from all sides. That's the type of fruit that Paul is talking about here. Now, here's something, this is important for us to see. Paul actually mentions bearing fruit two times in this chapter. First, he mentions it in verse 6. I'm not going to show you that, where he says that the gospel is bearing fruit and increasing. He says the gospel is bearing fruit and increasing. Then in verse 10, he says that it's the knowledge of God's will that is bearing fruit. So what Paul seems to be encouraging here is that the way to bear fruit is to grow in your knowledge of the gospel. So what is that? The way you bear fruit is to grow in your knowledge of the word. You dig into it. You come to understand how God created this world and everything in it. You grow in your knowledge of Jesus and how he lived his life. You grow in your knowledge of the cross and how Jesus came to redeem the world. You grow in your knowledge of the Holy Spirit and what he's doing in you and around you right now. And you grow in your knowledge of Jesus and what he's going to do when he comes back. You grow in your knowledge of the gospel. You see, the more time you spend with Jesus in the secret place, the more time you spend in his word, then the more you will know about God's will and what he's accomplished and who he is. From there, you're able to join him in carrying out his mission and purpose for your life, living into your Ephesians 2.10 calling, partnering with him in that, and you become more like him. And this is, church, this is when life gets interesting. This is when it gets so fun. Because Paul says that when you're bearing fruit in every good work, he goes on to say that you'll be increasing in your knowledge of the will of God. What Paul is saying is that when you bear fruit, when you partner with God for the advancement of his kingdom, when you work with God, you begin to know God more and more and more on a deeper and more intimate level. And that's the third section of the flywheel that we're going to focus on this morning. And that's knowing God. The more you turn that wheel, the more you know the, the, the knowledge of God's will, the more you bear fruit in every good work, the more you begin to actually know God. So I want to think about this for a minute, but I want to take it out of the context of a relationship with Jesus, and I want to put it into the context of the work environment. Okay, so for those of you in the work environment, those, you probably know your coworkers pretty well, don't you? You spend eight to nine hours of your, of your waking hours with them, and you get to know them pretty well. You know their likes, their dislikes. You know what makes them angry. You know what makes them happy. You know the depth of their, of their character. You know how they respond in adversity. You get to know them pretty well. 
And that's the idea that Paul is getting at here. When you work side by side with God, bearing good fruit, doing good work, joining him in his mission here on earth, you really get to know him. Not just stuff about him, but you get to know him. Not just do stuff for him, but you actually get to know him. You get to see him being lived out in the lives of others. So if you're learning stuff about God for the sake of just knowing it, then your faith is gonna be dry and academic. And quite frankly, it's gonna get boring. Or if you're just doing a bunch of stuff for God, thinking you're gonna earn your way into his good graces, then guess what? Your, your faith is just gonna look exhausting and robotic. And you're just gonna do things out of duty. And this is why God says this in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 9.23. This is so important for us. Listen to this closely. God says, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. See that? That he understands and knows me that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. God's saying, hey, you might be wise. You might know a lot about me, but the truth is, is I want you to know me. I want you to know my love, my steadfast love. You might be, able, you might be strong. You might be able to do a lot for me. You might be rich. You might be able to give a lot for me, but I want you to know me. I want you to know my justice, my righteousness. And finally, the more you know me, the more you will know my will, God says. And the more you know my will, my character, and my attributes, the more you will know my son Jesus and what he did for you. The more you know me, the more you walk with Christ. And with that, the circular line of thinking and living that Paul is praying for begins to happen. Every time you turn back into that flywheel, every time we push forward with those three things, Paul is praying for, he's encouraging us to do, the more we begin to walk with Christ, the more we live the way of Jesus, it just keeps going and going and going. Knowledge of God's will, bearing good fruit, knowing God. Knowledge of God's will, bearing fruit, and knowing God. Now that's simpler said than done. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back to that image. Can we go back to the image of the flywheel? I want you to imagine this flywheel is massive. It's huge. It's heavy. It's 30 feet in diameter. It's this huge metal thing, and it weighs 5,000 pounds. And your job is to turn that wheel and keep it going and keep it going. And the reason I want you to imagine this, because sometimes this is what walking with Christ feels like, isn't it? It's heavy. It's burdensome, it's overwhelming, it's scary, especially when you start walking in and walking with people in their lives and all the burdens and all the, the trials that they're walking through. It's difficult. And sometimes we can't fathom how we're gonna continue. Because truthfully, every now and then, life seems to throw a rock into the mix and it jams up the flywheel axle. And you just can't bear to move another inch. You have no idea how you're going to continue and we get stuck along the flywheel in one of those sections. And it's easy to get stuck. I'm not standing up here saying, like, I got this figured out, guys. I know how to do this. It's easy to get stuck. I've been in those moments where it's easy to just know a lot about God. So we find out a lot of stuff about God. We know a lot of information about him. And we think that this is what it equates to walking with Christ because we know a lot about him. Or sometimes we get stuck doing stuff for God and we think, 
man, this is what equals walking with Jesus. But the problem is, is if you stop in one of those sections of the flywheel, then life tends to get really boring or really exhausting. Have you ever felt that way before? Have you ever felt that way in your faith? You're just bored, exhausted. Your relationship with God is plateaued. You feel stuck. You feel like life is getting boring. Well, the reason that is is because you're stuck in one of those sections of the flywheel or you've just given up completely altogether. You stop turning back into what's most important when it comes to living the way of Jesus. And you might say, well, great, Josh. Thanks for that. How do I move on? How am I supposed to keep turning that wheel? It's a huge wheel. Life is tough. Well, I want you to know you're not alone. Because I've been there. There's been times in my life as a pastor where I thought, well, I'm doing all these good things for God. I'm serving him. I'm serving his people. I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. Maybe if I just do one more thing, I'll be okay. I forgot all about his word. I stepped away from knowing God's will in my life, and I just became exhausted. I became burnt out, and I came completely out of touch with what God wanted in my life. I was bored. And this is why Paul is talking to these believers in Colossae. Some of these believers in Colossae believe that they said that, they said that in order for you to keep turning that wheel, you needed to add more things into your life, add more stuff onto your calendar, more spiritual activities, more spiritual experiences that you need to have, more spiritual sacrifices that you need to make. Just have one more experience, one more experience. That will give you the ability to turn that wheel. Just deny yourself one more thing and you will have all the power you need. That will keep you in the game. But Paul says, no, that's not what keeps you going. Paul says, here's what gives you the ability to keep turning that wheel. Verse 11. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Paul is saying... The only way we can keep turning that wheel over and over and over again is if we are strengthened with his power according to his glorious might. You see, it's only God that can give you the power to do that. It's only God that can give you the power to keep turning that flywheel, living the way of Jesus. But how? How do we get that power? Where does that come from? Verse 12. He says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sin. That's how you have the power. That's the gospel. You get that power to turn that flywheel over and over and over again with all endurance, with all patience, and with all joy, and even when life throws a rock into the cog. Church, you have the power of the gospel in you, and you have it right now. If you are a believer in Jesus, if you've placed your faith in his saving grace, then you have been given that power freely, and it's yours to use. Not because of what you've done, but because of what he's done for you. That's where the power is. The entire message of the New Testament is this. You've been given everything you need in order to do everything he's asking of you. Even when trials and suffering come into your way. Again, you've been given everything you need in order to do everything he's asking of you. Do you believe that? 
through the gospel, you have been qualified. Or in other words, you, because of Jesus' death on the cross your, and your faith in him, you have been made worthy to share in the inheritance of the saints. You have eternal and everlasting life with God forever. You've been delivered from the domain of darkness. God has rescued you. He has removed you from what you once called home. He has adopted you into his family with his son, Jesus. You've been adopted into the family of God. And finally, you have been forgiven and redeemed completely, permanently, forever. The charges of sin that were once held against you are no longer there. They've been cast out into the depths of the sea and forgotten forever. The guilt and the shame that your sin used to cause you is gone, and it's never coming back. Jesus made sure of that. Church, that is the gospel. That's what motivates you. That's what gives you the power, the endurance to do what you need to do. That's how you keep turning that flywheel. That's what gives you the power to keep opening up your Bible day by day, moment by moment, trial after trial to know God's will. That's what gives you the power to bear fruit in every good work, to partner with God for the advancement of his kingdom. And that's what gives you the ability to know God, to know him on a deep and personal and intimate level. It's the gospel. That strength, that endurance, that power that you have is according to God's glorious might. Because when you said yes to Jesus... When you said yes to Jesus, you were given the same power that God has. You now have the DNA of Jesus coursing through your body, and you have his power. So in real-life situations, in real-life trials, when suffering or disease or pain or injustice come into your life, and it's not a matter of if, but when, but when that happens, you now have the knowledge of God's will to work through that because you know him deeply and intimately. Church, there's no sin. There's no sin, whether public or secret, that he can't break you from and restore you from. All of you in here that have faith in him are a living testament to that. There's no broken relationship in your life that he can't heal and restore. There's no rebel child that he can't bring back into the fold. There's nothing that God can't do that he can't accomplish through his power. And so Paul says, this is what I'm praying for. This is what I'm praying for you. Paul says, I'm praying that the power of the gospel is what keeps you driving forward and upward. I'm not praying for you to find some new way. I'm not praying for you to attain something new that you are missing. No, Paul says, I'm praying for you to love and appreciate what you already have because you have it all. Again, there is nothing God's going to ask you to do that he hasn't given you already the power to do so. Look what these verses say the end. It says, the Father has qualified you. Church, that's past tense. It says, the Father has delivered you and transferred you from the domain of darkness. That's past tense again. And finally, listen to this. You have redemption and forgiveness of sins. That's present tense. It's yours right now. That is the power of the gospel. And you keep turning that flywheel. And as you keep turning it and desiring more understanding of God's will, the more you bear fruit in every good work and the more you partner with God and you get to actually know him, you will see more and more areas of your life transformed. You will think and act and respond and walk with Christ more and more every day. And that's the way of Jesus. And as you begin turning that flywheel and you start focusing on those three things, what seems so heavy and daunting at the beginning the whole concept of the flywheel is once you get that thing moving, 
it gets easier and easier as you go. You keep focusing on those three things. Knowledge of God's will, bearing good fruit, knowing God. It gets easier and easier. That's why Paul is praying for us. That's what I'm praying for our church today. So oftentimes, as we end, we hear a sermon like this, and we hope we can remember it as we walk out that door. But the reality is the sense of the tyranny of the urgent hits you as soon as you leave that door, right? You got kids in Restoration Kids. Uh, you got lunch you got to get to. It's 11 o'clock. You're hoping that your uh, reservation stands by the time Josh is done. But here's the deal. We hear a sermon sometimes, and we fail to actually put into action what the scriptures are calling us to do, Right? And so this morning, that's what I want to do. I want us to take a few minutes just to put into action what Paul has called us into. And so your kids are going to be fine. Lunch will be there when we get there. But I want us to just pray for a few minutes. Remember those questions I asked you at the beginning? Is this the type of prayer that you would pray for yourself? Would you pray this for others, for those that are most important in your life? Would you do that? Is this how you pray? Well, that's what we're going to do. We're going to pray these things for ourselves, and then we're going to pray for others. And so what I'm going to ask you to do is find a comfortable spot, whether it's on your knees, maybe it's on your face, maybe it's just sitting in your chair, but I want you to close your eyes, and I just want you to relax. Let the tyranny of the urgent flow out of your mind. And just be. There's no one else in this room. It's just you and Jesus. It's just you and him. I want you to take a deep breath. Slowly exhale that breath. And feel that oxygen just flow through you. Feel the ground beneath your feet your knees. Feel your presence in this room right now and feel the presence of Jesus who's sitting right next to you. He's waiting to commune with you. Let's be silent for a few minutes. I want you to talk to Jesus. And here's what I want you to pray for. I want you to pray for the knowledge of God's will in your life. I want you to pray that you would delight in his word, that you would thirst for it on a daily basis. You can do that now.
next, I want you to pray that God would reveal to you where it is that he's asking you to bear fruit in every good work. Ask him specifically, where is it that I'm supposed to be serving you, God? Jesus, show me the way. Let's pray for a deep and real relationship with Jesus. Perhaps there's something you need to bring into the light with him. This morning, right now, there's something, there's a secret that you're holding back. He knows it already, but you just need to reveal it to him. And so pray for a deep and honest and transparent relationship, a vulnerable relationship with Jesus. Pray for a connection with him like you've never had before. Now we're going to pray for others. Who's the one person in your life that needs to hear this? Who's the one person in your life that could use the support, the encouragement of you to know more of God's will, to know more about how to bear fruit, just to know more about what it looks like to be in a relationship with God? Who is that in your life right now? Ask Jesus to reveal that person to you and pray for them. Father God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that you have given us this incredible gift, and that is your word. The ability that it has to speak into our lives, to cut us through bone and marrow, to judge the intentions and thoughts of our mind and our heart. That because of your word, we can understand your will in our lives, what it looks like for us to partner with you, to bear good fruit. But God, more importantly, it's just to know you. Thank you for this gift. 
God, would we be a people that are so adamant about being in your word that it becomes just, a, just, just the daily rhythm of our life, that we wouldn't neglect it, that we wouldn't allow the tyranny of the urgent to get in our way, but we would commune with you every day because, God, we, want, we are desperate for a touch of heaven. We're desperate for more moments with you, for more time with you, to, to know you, to walk with you, to live the way of Jesus because that's what it looks like to have heaven. And so, God, would we surrender everything that we have, our heart, our soul, everything we own, all of our love, would we give it to you? And in that, we would know you more and more every day. God, as we move into communion, I pray that we would recognize that the fact that we can even do this today, that we can even commune with you today, is because of what you've done for us on the cross. And so as we take communion, would it just be a reminder to us? Would it be like us looking up at you on the cross, recognizing that your bones were broken, your blood was shed for us, so that we were no longer separated from God by sin, but rather we can commune with you forever for eternity. God, would that be what we remember this morning as we take communion? God, we love you. It's your son's name we pray. Amen.